All right, welcome to the show. Hey, we're not used to we're not used to hanging out this this time of week. You know, we we're used to hanging out at five a.m. on Tuesday mornings. That's when these episodes usually drop. But oh shoot, something is up. Well, that's because this is part two of Women Are Badasses. Earlier in the week, we released a great conversation with Megan Chauncey. And uh, today you got Sharon Miller, teaching pastor, Ph. Freaking D. She's an author. We're going to talk about some of her books today. But as always, I'm in the company of people that are just a few steps ahead of me. And I say few, just to make myself feel okay. Now, you guys, over the years, I think we have all made ourselves, we've affected each other. We've poisoned each other into becoming heretics. And so sometimes I get some conservative thinkers on here to ground my ass. It's cool how, (laughs) all joking aside, it is cool how we can disagree on so much, but not talk in depth about any of that and have tons to talk about. So what does that tell us? Well, it tells us we can find tons of similarities with people because honestly, we have way more in common than we think, like jeepers, like gives me chi- like it gives me chills honestly it's like team humanity you're on the team whether you like it or not and this team is beautiful does beautiful things it's also selfish and hateful and does atrocious things but it you're on this team so that is why people for me it's kind of a shift and I'm being serious they're sacred ground for me now i'll let that kind of play out in your head how you want but Man, I look at a person, I'm looking at an image bearer of freaking God. And unless you are in my life relationally, I don't really know you. I don't know your story. I don't know the shit that almost destroyed you. I don't know how that affects your actions now. I don't I don't know why you're so secure. I don't know why you're so prideful. I don't know the circumstances behind your marital affair or why you feel like you have to lie. But I... Also, don't know any other way to be Christ-like than starting with love and trying to abide in that love for the long haul. It's team humanity. So my prayer is that through this podcast over the years, we'll all start doing this together, just prioritizing it, just having our little world where we know that fellow listeners are trying to do this stuff. It's one of the reasons why you listen to the podcast. I know it because you tell me that all the time. Are you guys art planters by any chance? Yeah, we are. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I work at Seacoast Church. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, yeah. yeah, Okay, I did not know that. Yeah, so Pastor Greg... Uh, is is I think this still the president of Arc and he's yeah I actually know I know Greg from a long time ago I was a researcher for him for like his sermons gotcha back like this was probably twelve years ago and then I just did a podcast with him like a few weeks ago on actually. the Pastors Collective mm-hmm. Sweet. yeah so it was that was the first time I talked to him because we had gone down there I think. Ike and I had just gotten married, and yeah. we went down there and had dinner with him and his wife, and 
So it's it's been a long time, yeah. but yeah, we love Seacoast and we love that area and yeah. it's and, it's amazing. And you guys it's are it's in growing Durham, right? cr- like crazy. Yeah. Yeah, we're in Durham. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, we actually just went my wife and I just went to gosh, I always forget. It's around Durham and it's I think it's two words. It's a small town. <laughs> I can't die. New Bern. New Bern. Oh yeah. Isn't that around okay. Her? Yeah. So we, we kind actually... of. It's like it's in a slightly different part of North Carolina. Okay. But yeah, we've New Bern is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So we picked out an Aussie Doodle, and, okay. and then and we picked it up recently. Yeah. Priscilla okay. won that battle. We had been battling for about a year and a half over getting a dog. And I didn't yeah. want a dog. <laughs> yeah. But now I'm so, happy. I like. So that. what do you do at Seacoast? So obviously, you know, it's a multi. Mm-hmm. location sort of deal so i'm the campus pastor of our james and john's location okay okay yep, yep. so been golly we've been a part of seacoast since 05 and those those rascals keep me around i know it's been challenging sometimes i used to be a part of a, a podcast called bad christian that uh-huh. really got big and pastor greg took some heat from that but I think over the years we've we've developed a mutual trust and so but I, yeah. I'll tell you what, it's Seacoast is a one of a kind place. It really is. I mean, I think on the outside it looks like any run of the mill sort of mm-hmm. mega church, but mm-hmm. inside, I mean, it's it's a it's a special place. It ain't perfect, yeah. but it's it's pretty special for sure. Yeah. How long have you guys been leading y'all's church? So it's been about two and a half years, so okay. not very long at all. Gotcha. We were about a year and a half old when the pandemic hit. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Wow. Yep. <laughs> and so so here's what I want to do. I want I, – I'm looking over some of your books, and I want people to know about them, and then I uh-huh. also just want to have some fun. Yeah. And a lot of our listeners, we just – we talk a little bit about everything. I think there's probably going to be some things that we don't even see eye to eye on, and I love those kind of conversations okay. also. Okay. So but, – but here's where I want to go first. So okay. you are a pastor, right? Yes. And mm-hmm. in the South, do you take heat? heat from that because I am I'm totally on board 100%. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah you know we that's one of the actually one of the reasons why we planted with ARC is we wanted to plant with a network that would be on board with me being a pastor and there were actually not that many options you know I mean ARC is a great organization for a lot of different reasons but that was one reason why we went with them right and when we began pitching to people, like when we were recruiting for our church and we would, you know, cast the vision and everything, and then we would get to the part of the conversation where we would say, you know, and also, uh, Sharon's going to be a pastor yeah. and, you know, I'm going to be preaching. How do you feel about that? And we, I would always be so nervous about that part of the conversation because we you know we're in the south like most people have spent some amount of time in a southern baptist church right and so i never knew what people were going to say and we were shocked yeah everyone was excited about it like even the people that weren't totally sure they they weren't that they agreed with us they were open to it right but no one was like oh i'm out i don't Yep. I don't agree with this at all. Like we, and we were amazed. Some people were so, my husband had a conversation with one guy who literally started weeping. He oh was my so excited. Wow. He was like, finally, like we, we need this. And I think this area, and, and I wonder if Charleston is similar, but 
this area is so so we are one of the most highly educated areas in the country yeah. because we have three major universities here. We also have Research Triangle Park, which is like this huge um, tech hub. Like I think Apple actually just announced they're bringing, uh, they're going to have a headquarters here or something. So y'all are in um, a nerdy area. Sounds We like. are. It's like very nerdy. <laughs> it's, it's extremely like so many people have, you know, advanced degrees yeah. around here. That's like very, very normal. Um, and so women are, they're leading in every other capacity. They're, yeah. They are doctors. They are professors. Right. They are CEOs. You know, they're, they're leading in all these different areas. But when you walk, especially into evangelical churches in the area, they are the children's ministers, the women's ministers, or the right. administrative assistants. Right. And that is it. Right. And yeah, so... Hey, real quick, you'll get a kick out of this. I was jogging around... Charleston area mm-hmm. and there was a church sign and this this was a permanent church sign like it was all you could tell they invested a lot of money in it it says senior pastor such and such pastor so and so right under that was and I swear to you lady leader and then her name and I was like I've never heard that terminology and why the hell do you just not call her a pastor she's a lady leader <laughs> lady leader <laughs> I've never heard that term before I'm going to I'm going to call you that Sharon is a lady leader <laughs> lady on this leader. podcast <laughs> Oh man yeah, so I all that to say, I think that our area specifically was really ripe for that. Right. Like I, I think this our area was just really ready for it. And it was very sweet because we I think we felt like we were sticking our necks out with this right. and we that we were, you know, on this front edge of, you know, doing this. And what we found is that God, God was like, you're not on the front edge. I'm on the front edge. (laughs) I went before you, I've been preparing people's hearts, you know, and it's, so that has been really encouraging. And, And I do think that some of it, there, there's probably a number of reasons why I haven't gotten much pushback. One is I'm not the lead pastor. My husband is the lead pastor. I have a teaching pastor role. Yeah. And so I'm guessing that's probably more palatable to some people. Yeah. But I also, I think that there's just a shift that is happening like culture wide. And, you know, even in, in complementarian churches, I see this, this softening of hearts towards you know, men towards their sisters in Christ, where even even if that complementarian theology is, you know, their conviction that they're really wanting to advocate for right. the gifts of, of women. But then with the whole Saddleback decision, I mean, when I saw that, I felt like the ground beneath me right. shook. Right. I mean, that was, I, I, I've, I've thought about it so many times because that was just when we were recording this, that was just over a week ago that that was announced. And yeah, tell our listeners about Saddleback. Yeah. So Saddleback announced that they had ordained three women and as pastors. Right. And they are the largest, I think, Southern Baptist church in the SBC. See, I didn't know they were Southern Baptists. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I haven't wasn't sure yeah but seacoast man we're progressive church then we've had women pastors for a long time long time and i and the leadership did not always agree with that and i'll i'll actually regretfully admit that gosh probably it would have been around 2007 so it's been a good while but 
I lean more towards, Uh I would love for women to be pastors. I just don't think that the Bible Uh opens the door for that. Like, that's where I was. Yeah. Well, I was actually, I was Southern Baptist for quite a while. Yeah. And I I was complimentarian. So we live in Durham, and I attended the Summit Church for about seven years. My husband worked for JD. Yeah. Like, we were very happily serving there, and we still love that church, and we're still friends with JD. Um, And so I, I think that's also why I have a really soft heart towards my complimentarian brothers and sisters yep. is I understand that there, there are, there are some complimentarians who are just misogynist right. Right. <laughs> and the theology is just a cover right. for that. Right. But there are also complementarians who genuinely earnestly read scripture right. and that is what they take from right. it. Yep. And I can honor that and I understand it. And yep. I I think at the end of the day, if we are submitting ourselves to the authority of scripture, we can still be in fellowship with one another. Yep. And so, yeah, I, I, I've been on my own, you know, journey with that as well. But I, I think that the Saddleback decision was probably writ large what we have been experiencing on like a much much smaller scale which is that i do think there is a a a huge shift happening in the american evangelical church right now for sure yeah and i and i would imagine you and i probably don't see uh, eye to eye with this but that's the same and it's so refreshing to hear that sort of posture. That's the kind of people that I really want to talk with and and be around is kind of a respect for other people and their genuine beliefs, because that's Mm -hmm. kind of where I'm at with the, I mean, I'll just call it the, the, everybody says gay affirming, non gay affirming. And Mm -hmm. that's been a huge journey for my wife and I, and I understand people that are not, I get it. That's how, and it's, it's so crazy how people are so quick to get on the other side of something. And then all of a sudden demonize everybody who they were just like five minutes ago. It's crazy. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I had recently tweeted something about how, because when Saddleback made that announcement, there was you know this huge backlash from some key key southern baptist leaders just condemning this and you know saying all yeah. sorts of things yeah and uh i had tweeted something about how i don't think that this is something that we have to divide over right but i think that in order to maintain unity we'll have to ignore some shenanigans right. you know right and i was really surprised because the people who gave me the most uh pushback on that tweet were not conservatives it was progressives really and oh yeah what like was their a pushback lot. um that it was, and it was interesting because I am a pastor. Right, right. <laughs> and so they, some people, I guess, I don't know if they just didn't know that or it was kind of like, that's easy for you to say. Yeah. Um, and some some people I, I sort of gently reminded and said, I left the SBC. Like, I'm not Southern Baptist anymore. Right. But I still love Southern Baptist. Like, okay, I, gotcha, I would still, gotcha. like, I'm not saying you know, stay in a place where, especially I'm not saying stay in a church where 
your gifts are completely unseen, right. you know, or if you are mistreated or that sort of a thing. But I guess the way that I think of unity, especially in yeah. in the American culture where we have so many different denominations, is I don't think you have to be in the same denomination to yeah. fellowship with one another. Yeah. I don't think you have to be in the same denomination to take communion together. Right. I mean, obviously, you know, with Catholics, that gets a little complicated, but I don't think you have to be in the same denomination to build houses together, to yeah. feed the poor, to get, you know, feed the hungry, right. um, stuff like that. And so I, I think even just like, what does unity mean? Um, but I, I, when I look at Jesus's life and the way he treated people is he didn't paint broad brush strokes with people. You know, we, we tend to think of him as, as being especially hard on the Pharisees, but I think he was more hard on them depending on their heart situation. Yeah. Cause there were some Pharisees that he engaged and had really great conversations with, and it wasn't confrontational at all because they were soft hearted. They, they wanted to know God. Yeah. And I think it's really important when we are having this conversation to not say all complementarians are this, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to, to assess like, where are they? on you know their journey where right. are they you know is their is their heart hard or is their heart soft yeah well it's even and, it's even worse than that with your the tw- now i understand what you're saying about your tweet and mm-hmm. and the progressive crowd what what they suppose is if you have any view or even any understanding to a view that they deem as anti-women not only are you anti-women but you are also unloving to women right like literally you are put in the camp of you don't love like i know a lot of people who will go back to the gay affirming deal they're not gay affirming and it's and they would love like anything to be but they're they say i i don't understand how to reconcile that with the bible Mm -hmm. but they're very loving to all people but because of their conviction to what they see as God's word, they're looked at as hateful people. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you just can't, that's just too simple. And I mean, that feeds into this whole cancel culture. It's just like, we just simplify human beings so quickly. Oh, you Mm -hmm. said that, that, that means this, and that means this is your heart. And that means you're gone. It's just, it's just nuts. I mean, I hope, I hope we can undo some of this, but I don't, I don't see it happening. <laughs> I, I'm always glass half empty, I guess. I need to have more faith, but it's just, gosh, we've gotten ourselves in a pickle with, with this cancel stuff for sure. Yeah, let me ask you this. If if someone were, and I'm sure you've gotten it before, but let's just let's play this out. How do you reconcile you being a pastor with Scripture? It seems mm-hmm. like Paul says not only should y'all not be pastors, but y'all should wait until you go home to even say anything. <laughs> so yeah. how would you answer someone that says, well, how, how does that line up with Paul's teachings? Yeah. So I, I just posted something on Instagram about this because I, it was just a very short 30 second Instagram reel, right. which is not generally how I like to do my scriptural hermeneutics right. Right. <laughs> in like a 30 second, but I just had this thought and I thought I need to put this out there because I'm tired of people will send me first Timothy two all the time. Yep. They'll say first Timothy two, you know, woman shall not have authority over man. And that's all they'll send me. Right. 
And I, I finally, I posted this reel saying, please stop sending me this verse because this is, this is bad. This is bad biblical interpretation. And here is why. What we're doing with this verse is we are taking it out of scripture. We are elevating it. And then we're using that as sort of like the filter, the one defining filter for understanding all other examples of women leading in scripture. So we use this, this verse to understand, you know, Deborah, the judge, Huldah, the prophet, Junia, the apostle, Mary, the evangelist, Phoebe, the deliverer and expositor of Romans. You have all of these, these really important, significant examples of women. And because first Timothy was elevated that way for so long, you would get these interpretations where, where it was said, well, Deborah was only leading because a man wasn't there to lead. The scripture doesn't say that, but you have to contort it in order to fit this, this verse. Same with Junia. For a long time, there were translations that rendered Junia's name as male yeah. because they thought there's just no way this could be a woman. <laughs> and then when enough, and I'm not kidding you, like there were actual Bible interpretations that did this. And there finally enough New Testament scholars said, this is just a female name. It just is. Right. That then it was, okay, well, when it says Junia is known among the apostles, it must mean she's known by the apostles. She's not, she couldn't possibly be an apostle. <laughs> and so you're, you're having, and this was the other thing that, that I realized was really disingenuous for a long time when I was a complementarian. I thought anyone who's not a compliment, a complementarian is twisting scripture. They're right. not taking scripture seriously. And I suddenly realized, no, wait a second, <laughs> to interpret Deborah that way, to interpret Junia that way, right. that is twisting scripture. Right. Right. And and so I said, this is bad hermeneutics, you guys, to take this one verse, especially from a passage that and that's the same passage where it says that women will be safe through childbearing. Right. Um, it's it's a passage that there is not consensus on. Like it's really debated. Like what e- that even means. Um, the word authority in Greek there, authentine, it doesn't appear anywhere else in scripture. Like that's also really debated what that word even means. And so we're taking this unclear passage. A, a, a passage with no consensus about what it even means. And we're using that to understand right. all the other passages right. where women are clearly leading under the anointing of God. Right. And so it was stuff like that where I just thought, what are we doing? Right. I, I mean, I, I really feel I, I, I would even take it further and say there's I personally feel like most of the Bible would fall into that category. I feel like there's there's a short list of things that we all need to be agreeing on. But you'll get a kick out of this. And so Romans 7, where Paul is saying, the things I want to do, I don't. The things I don't want to do, I do. I've actually mm-hmm. heard, because people are so uneasy with Paul admitting that he was so broken and, and mm-hmm. sinful. I've heard, I've heard a theological explanation that was pre-Christ for Paul. He was writing that scripture before his encounter with Jesus. I mean, it's just like, oh my gosh, how are we so uncomfortable with stuff to where we're just going out? I mean, that's yeah. the dumbest thing I've, I've ever heard. Yeah, and I, I don't want to, you know, turn the complementarian argument into like a straw man. And, right. and I don't want right. to no, imply that that I'm people who believe that are, yep. you know, doing that sort of um, 
acrobatic work with scripture, just some, not all are, but some a hundred percent are. And that was why I made that Instagram reel where I basically said, stop sending this to me. This is not a thorough biblical argument. You know, we, we want to be taking scripture seriously and submitting ourselves to the whole witness of scripture. And it it has always been really important to me and my husband that people understand I'm a pastor, not in spite of scripture, but because of scripture, because we hold up scripture. We we submit ourselves to scripture and we want the people in our church to do the same. Do you feel that there is a possibility that Jesus, you know, we always talk about the 12, do you think there's a possibility that Jesus, when he would think of his 12 or 13 or 14 or however many, he would include Mary, Martha, any of those, but because of the cultural lenses and how that sort of thing was just off limits and women were not seen that way, the writers actually just said, nah, that that doesn't work. We're just going to do these these 12 guys because I feel like there's, there's, there's people in Jesus's it seems like uh, Peter, James, and John's status when it comes to the people that were close with Jesus. Yeah. I mean, the reality is we just don't know. Right. But I, and, and I think there's humility is in order on both sides right. for that because Jesus just doesn't tell us. I think that the t- reason for the 12 is that they are stand-ins for the 12 tribes of Israel. Yeah. That is why... There are 12, but you see women just constantly around Jesus. And it's so fascinating to me. I think I want to say it's in Luke 8 where it talks about Joanna financially supporting Jesus, how she is leading Herod's household. And out of that, she's financially supporting Jesus. And that was also really I would have loved growing up, and, and again, I'm not I'm not trying to take pot shots at people, but there was a significant time in my life where I was told, you know, the man is supposed to be the breadwinner, and this is biblically mandated, Jeez. and that is not how Jesus ran his own ministry. Right. He was financially supported by women, and so there's so many there's so many you know, assumptions made about what it means to be a biblical, what biblical manhood is that Jesus himself does not fit into. Right. And so I, I don't, you know, I don't know how to entirely answer that question. I, I I think what is clear is that there were a lot of women around him who considered themselves disciples of Jesus. Yeah, we know that for sure. So I don't know if you'll like this question or not, but what about a lead woman, woman pastor? How do you feel about it? I feel fine. I I think it is. I, I I suspect that what limits folks right now is they're limited by their own imaginations. Yeah. You know, we all the time when I preach, men come up to me and say, "I don't normally like." women preachers, but <laughs> I really had to like preface you. with that. Hey, I don't normally yeah. say this. <laughs> I don't normally like women preachers, but I really like you. Yeah. And what I think they're actually saying is that they've never heard a woman preacher before. Yeah. And if they have heard a woman preach very often, it was their pastor's wife or, you know, someone for mother's day, like the children's minister, someone that was kind of pulled up because we need like a woman to preach, but that wasn't necessarily their gift. Right. 
And so I, I think that we, yeah, I think we're limited by, by our imaginations, but I think if it's, it's the right woman, I I think called by God, yeah. she, she can do it. Like I, I'm not, that's another passage where we are fine with having female elders. Um, just the, the interpretation of elders being the husband of one wife. The thing that my, my husband often says is if you're going to interpret that as woodenly as to mean that that's what it's saying is it must be a husband of one wife, which means they can't be single, you know, right. They can't be, uh, you know, remarried after their first wife dies. You know, is that what that this means? (laughs) Is that what the the emphasis on, or is it about being, you know, faithful? Right about fidelity. You know that sort of a thing. Um, Because there's all this emphasis on the the male part of that, but not on the you know husband of yep. one wife qualification. What, yeah, what I would love to see, and I'll go out kind of on a limb and say that I think that if we were to have, I, I, I would love to see, let's say, 15 churches at the at the mega level, mega churches. I'd love to see them all led by women and see the percentage of downfalls and foral, uh, moral failures. And cause I, I I'm looking at all these big name male pastors. I'm like, we, we don't have a great track record with those guys. Why don't we, <laughs> why don't we pass the baton here? <laughs> well, the thing, I, what I would really like to see, and I think, I don't know if you're familiar with Tish Harrison Warren, yep. she's yep. an Anglican priest, but she has written really helpfully about this. And the thing that she brings up, and I even think uh, Jen Wilkin, I don't know if you're familiar with her, Not I think her, she no. has brought this up as well, and I think this is so good, is they have both talked about the church needing fathers and mothers. Yes, because God's a perfect father and a perfect mother. Yeah, and I think that if you have a woman lead pastor, you still need fathers in that church. Mm-hmm. And I think what, what we have been missing too often so is mothers in the church. And that that has been the thing that, that's been fascinating is I preach on topics that I think a lot of men would just not think to preach on, or, or I think I approach it in ways that maybe men wouldn't think to approach it. And likewise, men are going to think of things or approach things in ways that like I would never think of that are going to resonate differently with different genders. And so I think what, what we need is actually both yeah. in churches. Yeah. And, and how and things that's, are, I'm sorry. That I think that's one of the reasons why what attracts people to our church is that my husband and I are leading together. Yeah. And so we're, we're, we're leading in that, that full, you know, vision. I, I often say that when I think people see us leading together, they get this call back to the Garden of Eden and, and what God initially designed right. for man and woman. So are you guys are you guys title lead pastors? No, so he is the lead pastor. Okay. I the my title is teaching pastor and the main reason for that is not theological actually. Yeah. The main reason is I needed to limit the scope of my title because I we have three young children. Yep. And I also write and I travel and speak and I don't have the same capacity for pastoral care as my husband does. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to limit and I think just teaching is is more my gift. Sure. It's what I'm really like passionate about. 
And so we, yeah, he is the the lead head pastor, but we co-teach. Like we're actually, um, this coming Sunday, we'll be teaching on Ephesians 5 and submission together. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> man, I wish that that passage was always team taught, man. That'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. But I love what you said as far as we all need mothers and fathers. Two of our most listened to episodes were former Mars Hill Church not elders, but elders' wives, because women were not allowed to be elders under Mark Driscoll's leadership. And mm-hmm. it's crazy. It's like their culture, and it represents many cultures. It's like the women can teach other women, and the women can teach children. So you mean to tell right. me that children and women are the only ones that need spiritual mothers? Like us mm-hmm. dudes, we don't need that? I mean, it's just, yeah. it's crazy. It's real yeah. crazy. Well, with the free of me, why life is better when it's not about you? Yeah, so just a little bit of background where that book came from is I was wrestling with a lot of insecurity around ministry. And it it sort of came out of nowhere. I I had not struggled with insecurity much growing up. But I got to a point in ministry and with writing and speaking where I was starting to need affirmation, need praise, need to be seen. that kind of a thing. And I, it was taking all the joy out of my work. Like it was no longer enough just to do it out of, you know, love for God and others. That's so big to admit, by the way, because I've, I've gone through the same thing. That's huge. Yeah. And I, yeah, I I was really kind of miserable. And so I started doing a lot of you know, research into insecurity and trying to understand how do you combat insecurity and reading books about it and, and articles. And then I was reading, you know, what does scripture say about me? What are the the promises, you know, God's love that I can cling to, that yeah. I can speak over myself about, you know, created with a purpose, all of that. And so I did that for months and months and months. And I, I actually believed all of those things. It wasn't even, I know some people really struggle to believe God loves them yeah. or to believe in their own value or inherent worth. And I wasn't struggling with any of those things, yeah. but I, I kept, you know, just, I'm going to speak this over myself, speak this over myself. And after doing that for quite some time, I realized it had not helped at all. I was, I, I had not moved at all. It, it had not touched what whatever was going on deep inside of me. And that sent me on a journey of kind of backing up and, and reapproaching the problem. And I read a number of different books. Like I read, Tim Keller has a book called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness that I highly recommend. It's very, very short. You could read it in probably like an hour. Cool. And that, along with some other books, it led me to have this kind of epiphany where I realized that there are two causes of insecurity, but we really only talk about one. And that one is low self-esteem, which I would define as not seeing yourself the way God sees you, you know, not seeing yourself the way scripture describes you. And that that is real and it's important and it is worthy of care that the gospel addresses and, and heals that, mm-hmm. you know, th- it is important. And I, I don't want to gloss over that, especially in light of, you know, what you were just saying. Even I've talked to my husband. My husband is the, an adult child of an alcoholic. And he talks often about having growing up with this unformed ability to affirm himself. Right. 
And so some people, that is a genuine, genuine struggle that scripture speaks to with truth. However, what I discovered is that there's a second cause of insecurity, which is self-preoccupation. And this comes from making you, you know, the center of things where the, the stakes are high because everything rides on you. And, and this is the kind of insecurity that you see in Moses. You know, when, when God comes to Moses and says, I want you to do this. And Moses essentially says, I can't do that. I, I, I don't speak I, I, well. C- yeah. Can't, can't, yeah. can't do that. Yeah, exactly. And... You know, it's funny because I do think in our, you know, speaking of, of our self-esteem culture, I think that our self-esteem culture would would probably respond to Moses by saying, well, Moses, you know, you actually were raised in, the, in a palace. You right. were groomed to be a leader. And so of all of Israel, you're actually probably the most qualified. Like, right. like look at all this potential that you have. And that's not how God responds right. <laughs> at right. all. Right. He doesn't encourage Moses at all in himself. He, he says, who gave you your mouth? Right. You know, who, who helps people to speak? Like, is it not I, the Lord? And it was such a, that was such a wake up call for me of realizing that self-preoccupation in, a, in and of itself can become really paralyzing. Yeah. And the, the ironic thing about self-preoccupation, if that is the cause of your insecurity, but you're trying to heal it mm-hmm. like the cause is low self-esteem by just, I just need to think better of myself. Right. I just need to think more positively about myself. What you're actually doing is reinforcing the problem instead That's of correcting yeah. it. And that was what happened to me. My self-esteem was actually completely fine. Right. But I was living for myself, yeah. and that was that had become its its own kind of sickness. Right. And that's that is what the that's what the book is about. Yeah. But I have an entire chapter about that's called forgetting yourself without neglecting yourself, yeah. because for women specifically, women have been taught like historically that you you should lay yourself down for your family. You should stay in abusive relationships, mm. you know, because if Jesus suffered and you're called to take up your cross, then whatever this is, you know, dysfunction that you're in, this is just you taking up your cross. Right. And that is not what I'm talking right. about. Right. <laughs> and it was very important to me right. to make that clear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Real quick for the record, I'm sure that Tim Keller book is a one day read for nerdy smart people like you from Durham. <laughs> and but uh, you know, thinking about Moses, I've never I've never thought of it this way. Imagine because of the sort of stock that we put into the external appearance and the ability to speak eloquently, Mo- Moses would have never been a pastor of a big church. Ever. Right, yeah. He would have never had that open door. And also, mm-hmm. when you said what you did as far as what God said to Moses, gosh, how many pastors would benefit from remembering mm-hmm. that? I mean, it's just, yeah. I feel like we are in a season in which the church at least like contemporary churches the 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 big ones one that i'm a part of it's we are in a crisis of pastors losing their way when it comes to mm-hmm. the the yeah. real purpose of what we're doing and it's like i think we went through a phase maybe in the 80s and 90s where it was cool and hip to be a worship leader and now i feel like we're in an age where it's cool and hip to 
be a, a pastor because, oh man, look at all these real cool guys like Stephen Furtick and Jude, whatever the guy is from Seattle. But yeah, that's, oh man, I, I could talk for hours on that. But I want to yeah. get to your most recent book on Nice mm-hmm. and uh, why we love to be liked and how God calls us to, to more. Mm-hmm. Give us kind of the the foundation of that book because I when I look at social media, all I think of is my gosh, can people just be nice to each other? Yeah, <laughs> and I'm sure yeah. your book well, is say, is a is a deeper concept, just like the last one. But I'd love to hear. Yeah, about it. Yeah, well, I say like we're really good at looking good. Yeah. Um. So the origin of nice was actually in just like a paragraph of Free of Me in the first chapter of Free of Me. I'm reflecting on my childhood and how I was a really nice Christian girl and I was a rule follower and I was an achiever and I, you know, just did everything that was expected of me. And at the time, if you'd asked me why, I probably would have said, because I'm a Christian, you know, this is why. But in hindsight, my motives were more complicated than that. Um, I, was also a nice Christian girl because it was really beneficial for me to be. It earned me affirmation. It earned me praise. You know, it earned me the approval of all the adults in my life. And so I had written just very briefly about that and free of me and had not intended to go any deeper into it than that. But it was one of those things where it started to haunt me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And the reason why is I I realized I had not left that tendency behind me in childhood, but I'd carried it into adulthood and I carried it into ministry. Gotcha. And the moment I was confronted with this was actually, I don't know, I guess it was when everything was happening in, in Ferguson yeah. and I was fe- feeling just really prompted to write on my blog about how to think biblically about all of this. Like, what does this mean for Christians? And I wrote this, you know, very well thought out, scripturally argued blog post. And then I was about to post it and I hesitated. Mm-hmm. And I just felt scared, honestly. Like, what? how will people respond to this? Am I going to be accused of being divisive or, you know, political? Is this going to change my image? Will people stop following me? Do you, you know, mind all sharing that. the context of it? Like, what was your concern? The title of it was something like, when, you know, your kids are crying and you've got dishes in the sink, why should you care about Ferguson? Gotcha. Or something like gotcha. that. That was kind of what it was. Is, is I really wanted to bring this home for women who just saw this as something in the news that had nothing to do with their ordinary lives. Yeah. It was not, you know, really radical. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, but I... Yeah, I I just realized in that moment, I have not written anything here that is unbiblical. I have not written anything here that Jesus would not endorse. And so why am I hesitating to publish it? And that was when I realized that I was still serving this idol of nice Christianity because it had served me. And, And that is the really ugly truth about women who are authors and speakers is that I really like, I don't like saying it, but I say it because it's true and somebody has to say it, but there is a lot of honestly money to be made Mm -hmm. 
if you stick to a certain script mm -hmm. and you talk about you talk about insecurity, you know, you you talk about marriage, you talk about body image, you know, stuff like that, and and how scripture speaks it. You talk about prayer, you know, generally, all really good topics. Yeah. But if you step outside of that box. There is hell brilliant. to pay. There's a lot yeah, of and brilliant. and there's no better example of this than you know Beth Moore, right. who she spent decades teaching the Bible, mm -hmm. and the moment and and, and it. I mean, she, she was really, almost a fourth part of the Trinity for some people. Almost. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and and there was a lot of women kind of doing that same thing, yeah. but the moment that Beth said, "Well, wait a second. My devotion to scripture leads me to speak about these things. Yeah. It was a firestorm. Yep. And that I, I think a lot of women, we we've really had to confront this this nice Christianity and how beneficial it has been to us, how it looks so much like the real thing, but the fruit is bad. And that that's what that book really wrestles through. Yeah.